0: What is Off the Groove? It means you've blown the line, or you're pushing the limits a little bit too far, or just maybe you might be looking for a faster way around the racetrack.
1: Off the Groove with Scotty Dubler.
2: Hey, Scotty. Hey, Carter. Uh, we got to figure out some other way to get into these things, man. I, I, I don't mind that, but like, is that our thing? Hey, Scotty. Hey, Carter. Is there something better out there. It's Friday. It is Friday. You
0: know what that... You know what that means?
2: That means that there's a new episode of Off the Groove. Yeah. Yeah. How did you know? How'd you know? Well, as I've only been doing this for about, what, 50 weeks? No, 49 f- 40 or 50. 49. I lost track. I, you
0: know, I've got my shoes on still and I've only got 10, you know, 10 fingers. So I don't know. It's We're almost a year.
2: Almost a year. A couple weeks away. A few weeks away. Yeah, you know, 49. So what, three more weeks? Will it be a full year? 52?
0: Without one single Friday off.
2: Yeah, and no repeats, which we're pretty proud of. No repeats. That that,
0: it, that that surprised me. You know, I people have been texting me and say, "Hey, man, you got to have so and so or so and so." And I was like, "We already did."
2: Yeah, we'll we'll have and them like, all oh, on again. Oh, but yeah. there's still what hundreds of stories in the pits, and you know, different people involved in the sport. Plenty of people to tell about. I mean, but we got to find a way to bring back the people we've already talked to, and we have a little bit here and there. We talked to Carver a little bit already, and uh, we'll find as we get close to the, the 2019 season, we'll we'll probably do something to to bring them all together and kind of talk about the upcoming season as we get into 2019
0: you got some good ideas don't you sometimes did you see the big news this week
2: oh there's a lot of big news this week but the biggest the was big the big news the big news the indian steel shoe dropped you like Man, to you and that happened
0: there? right after we put our episode out last friday so a week ago indian announced that they have three members of the Indian wrecking crew Jared Mises staying put, obviously yep. we knew that why would they He's let him go, yeah. but then they hired Briar Bauman and younger brother Bronson Bauman to be campaigning on the Factory Indians and I think that's awesome.
2: I want to say and I don't know if it was a conversation with you but I know that I said something, wouldn't it be cool if the Bauman brothers were on Factory Indian I, and I didn't I really expect it to happen I, did, like, I was just like that would be cool
0: I bet you still still have it recorded somewhere, because I know we've talked about it at some point, and uh, it it is pretty cool that it happened. You know, Bronson earned it. Um, I think, you know, they looked over a few people, but it all just fit together. I, I think that they had to make a decision, and it fit together really well.
2: No, it'll be cool to see what they do next year. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of things. I've seen a couple of things about the uh, 2019 rule changes, too, on the Indian front. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with some of that, some of those rule changes.
0: Well, what I like about that is the rules, the rule changes are out soon enough. Uh, Everybody's got to run the same fuel. But what, you know, India's concerned about is will that, you know, rob horsepower they have plenty of time to find out before we go to Daytona. Yep. So I'm not that shook up about it. I know Indian made a statement about it. I'm not going to talk about that right now, but, you know, we'll have to see. We have plenty of time before Daytona, but, you know, will that affect any any other teams? You know, uh, the bigger throttle bodies for some of the other manufacturers, will that bring in more manufacturers into our sport? Will there be less Indians at the racetrack? We'll have to wait and see.
2: I'm all for leveling the playing field, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if there are as many Indians competing in 2019 as there were in 2018. But, you know, I'm not going to be upset if there's other OEMs involved in in the sport because that's always good for everybody.
0: What I don't want to see is, I know this is way before your time, but back in the early 80s, Honda came in and started kicking everybody's butt and then they started restricting them and restricting them and Honda Honda finally had enough and they left. So I hope they don't go that far to make India not want to be a part of the sport. I don't think they are right now. I don't think they're even close, but you know i just don't want i don't want indian to leave
2: time will tell time will tell one thing i want to talk about that you didn't bring up last week that right i think we needed to was right. the fact that matthew gunther has ties to dr pepper why didn't we talk about that we
0: let it slip i wasn't pushing the issue i didn't want that dr pepper that bad i guess you
2: knew that gunther's what mother or stepmother what is it it's his mom it's his mother my, my girlfriend works for dr pepper the mullet's wife she works for dr pepper or she has ties to dr pepper i'm pretty sure she works for dr pepper and or you a didn't bring company. that up in the interview last week i wasn't talking to her i was talking to matthew i want to i want to hear about him but that's your chance that was your in, scotty <laughs> you realize you could probably have a, a 12 pack of dr pepper from a sponsorship I'm, even if they're sponsoring I'm, you in soda that's what listen, you want I, i'm pretty sure i got more than a 12 pack in the fridge <laughs> i'm just matthew if you're listening hook him up with a sponsorship or talk, talk to your mom and hook him up with a sponsorship. Even if it's just one Dr. Pepper, if you bring a Dr. Pepper to the track every week,
0: let's every make, race. Let's yeah, make that's that 18 out of them. That's 18 Dude, less. I have to buy 18
2: less. You have to buy and what a go. hell of a way to start a sponsorship with Dr. Pepper, right?
0: 23 flavors, but they all taste like heaven. Oh boy. All um,
2: right. Maxwell teams up the where racing.
0: That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think that's going to be a great combination. Max deserves it. And what Max was lacking is a mechanic in his back pocket that has been to these racetracks that can help set up these motorcycles to the American tracks. Max is a hell of a rider. He may have the best mechanic down there in Australia, but now he's teamed up with Weirbach, who's been to all these racetracks. They know how to set up bikes. That's gonna be a pretty potent combination next year.
2: And I mean, coming in as a rookie this year, he was competitive. I mean, one spot off the podium as a rookie coming here racing his first season. He
0: did really well, especially trying to get used to the way we ride over here, different tires. The Australians don't even use steel shoes down there, you know, Uh, he's been over here a few times, got his feet wet, it was cool to see him, you know, for the whole series. I can't wait to see what he does next year. Absolutely. There's some racing this weekend. Did there's you see raci-
2: that? Yeah, there's been some racing, uh you know, since we left the season. But you know, there's a big race this weekend in Travelers Rest. There, there was some, there was a few races there last year. I, I really want to get to that track.
0: You know what? You're gonna have to make that uh, that list. list of places we need to go because I haven't seen you make that list yet. But we got to put that on the bucket list because Johnny Lewis has been down there with Moto Anatomy, and the track looks awesome. They've got a TT track. Normally, there's a motocross track in the infield right now this weekend tonight actually is a tt and then i think tomorrow they're running on the big track which it looks like a full half mile it is some red dirt down there in travelers rest south carolina and it looks like a lot of fun uh johnny lewis had a, a school a school down there and it looked like he had a huge turnout so yeah, he's uh, been we're a, he he that been out pretty
2: busy lately and i love what he's doing i mean I, he he built that tt part of that track right like they they did that themselves
0: it's really cool i like the way it's designed
2: no i heard some uh, some other big names are going to be there this weekend too so uh i'm sure you can follow uh, the social medias of all the flat trackers and see who's who's showing up at travelers rest and i know travelers rest has a uh, uh instagram handle as well so i'm sure they'll be posting some stuff of flat track this weekend well i hope so
0: because i'm not gonna be able to make it down there i had uh, some people reach out to me on instagram asked if i was going i just it's a long ways for me i was not asked to work the race so it's kind of hard for me to get down there i think it's a little over a thousand miles to get there a thousand miles to get back just yeah. to go watch I, i'll probably skip it so you won't be there that
2: uh, this weekend but you're doing something next weekend a pretty big race in know is that a, is that already next weekend i think it is the first right
0: man i bet i better pack my bags <laughs> yeah i gotta i'm i'm in ocala for the gary mcnary memorial short track there at nice. ocala it's the last race of the sdta now, what is the SDTA? Southern Dirt Track Association. Gary McNary, who passed away last year at the race we were at in Savannah, okay. he actually started it. Um, I'm not sure who runs it right now. I've had a lot of different people reaching out to me on my phone, and and they've already sent me notes for everything. They've already sent me the sponsorships and everything. So it seems like they're on top of it, and some big names are going to be down there. Uh, I've heard rumors right now that fanschoice.tv is gonna be covering the action. It's not uh, set in stone yet So don't hold my you know, don't hold my feet to the fire, <laughs> but uh, it's it's gonna happen I've heard Kenny going to be racing. I heard some other fast guys like uh, of cool you might is know racing Well, he lives right there nice. close by so so I think he's gonna race I don't know if he'll race the pro class, but I know he's uh, I know he's gonna be there and uh, I think cool. some other big names are headed down there to get away from the cold weather and some of them stay down there and ride at Robbie Bobby's track there in Pensacola some of them just go down there to get away. I saw Corey Texter race somewhere down south last weekend, and and uh, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, the guys that are smart, they want to stay on their bikes. You know, there's no ice riding just yet, uh, but a lot of them are heading south.
2: No, I, I was talking to Carver a little bit. I know you mentioned that he might head down to Florida, and I don't know if he's going to Ocala, but you know, if he's heading down to Florida, it makes sense for him to go racing in Ocala.
0: Well, riding's one thing, but when you strap on the steel shoe and you line up next to somebody, and you know there's fast guys, it makes you go even harder. Even if it's not for a lot of money, you still want to beat that guy, Who- whoever it is that's lined up beside you.
2: It's good to see racing in the off season.
0: Another race on December the 1st. While I'm in Florida, the ice racing series will be at Prescott Valley, Arizona, just uh, just north of Phoenix, a little ways. Uh, we actually had a national there a few years back, but um, this is an indoor arena nice. and there'll be some ice racing going on. I can't make, you know, I can't be in two spots at one time. So uh, the people in Ocala got a, a hold of me before. Uh, It means a lot to me to go down there for the McNarys. That family is really cool. I'm really good friends with Sean, and so I just I told him I I was going to be there.
2: That's pretty cool. No matter what. Are you going to be doing some ice racing, calling some ice races uh, later in the season? Maybe you don't? I know you did some last year. I
0: I hope so. We've we've been in contact. We're working on an agreement right now. They have an announcer, Chris Tice, but sometimes he can't make it to all the the events. So I might be just filling in for him a couple rounds. I might be doing more than I I know of right now, but we'll have to wait and see.
2: Cool, man. So, you want to talk about who's uh, our guest this week?
0: You mean you got us a guest
2: again? I always get you guests, except for that one week, which you're never gonna let oh. me live down. So, our guest—we teased it a little bit last week—is uh, Mr. Tommy Duma.
0: I love Tommy, man. He supports the sport. You know, he doesn't have to, you know, make these championship ranks. He doesn't have to be the official jeweler. He does it because he loves racing and he's also a part of the class of 79 and friends and and just man a super cool guy.
2: It's not just that. I mean, he comes out to some of these tracks and I, I've seen him in the middle of the infield and you know when if a rider goes, goes down, he's out there right there with the officials helping them up. Uh he loves the sport and does a lot, you know, outside of sponsorship and charity. He pours his heart and soul into the series and uh it's always good to talk to him. He's a down-to-earth guy. Uh, I know a little bit about him, you know, working with him from the TDFJ side, but I don't know a ton about his racing career. You wanna give him a call? Let's do it.
0: What up? Is this the official jeweler of American Flat Track?
1: You got it, man. What you doing, Scotty?
0: Not much, man. How you doing? Are you are you recovered yet? You still sitting on the couch? What what's what's the status of Tommy Duma?
1: Right now, I moved, uh, I moved to the island, so I'm sitting on a stool. But, uh, yeah, I still have this doggone neck brace on. It comes off next Wednesday. And uh, my foot, I'm not supposed to put any weight on it or walk on it until Christmas week. So still uh, still hobbling around on crutches. But uh, Man. I can't wait to get this neck collar off. That's for doggone sure, so I can lay that- down.
0: It sounds like you're more beat up than any time I was racing motorcycles. You too. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty severe wreck you had in your side by side.
1: Honest to uh, Pete, I'm telling you, I fell off that XR 750 at over 100 mile an hour many times. And walked away. And uh, this, uh, we were probably going 20 mile an hour. Cody was driving. I was a passenger. <laughs> I didn't do the best sidecar. Probably should have leaned a little bit more. He went into one a little bit too hot, turned her a little too tight, and we were in four wheel drive, and both wheels stuck. And there you went. I went just flying out the side of it. And nice. yeah, I broke my neck somehow on the way down, and then uh, the car fell on my foot and broke 10 bones.
0: Wow. Crazy. That's- that is just crazy, and then and then you're out in the middle of nowhere, and then you have to try yeah. to find a way to get to the hospital and all that fun stuff that we talked about before. But uh, I'm glad you know your spirits are good. You sound like you're in a good mood and everything.
1: Yeah, we're ready. I, I'm ready to uh, to get back to the gym and uh, start to walk and start to rehab for 2019 for sure.
0: Right on. So you've been sitting, you know, on the couch on the recliner. You got the TV schedule figured out. Are you watching, you know? netflix you watch judge judy do you watch uh what do you watch what, what have
1: you been doing i do netflix i, I will say t- time tv sucks uh but i've been doing a lot of youtube a lot of uh, dirt track all just binging on that and uh just trying to make the time go a lot quicker as of late uh, probably the last two weeks starting to feel a little bit more normal and i can uh, do some work on my laptop so I've had my face in that for, for the last couple of weeks as well starting to Feel like I'm getting back into the groove of uh, selling jewelry, is, you know this is our time.
0: Right on. Do you go back and watch any races? I mean, do you go back into some archives? You watch what's happened in the last few races or you, you know, you're looking on YouTube? What,
1: what? Everything, everything that was on there. And I've been laid up since October 12th. So I've watched it all. I've exhausted it all and watched, rewatch some of the, the great finishes for sure.
0: All right. So did you look on YouTube? Are there any races of you racing?
1: No, not, uh, not of me. There is about a five-second uh, of glory and fame on a uh, the Young Matadors documentary about Jay Springsteen, 19, his 1979 career. They followed him around, and uh, so the DeCoin race was uh, highlighted as one of the races, and uh, Dave Despain calls my name out because I pulled the whole shot and lead him around uh, coming out of turn two. So that was it. Maybe 15 seconds, but that was about it.
0: Well, at least you got something. I don't think Dave Despain ever called my name for leading the race, so uh, <laughs> so you got something on me right there.
1: There you go. That's the beauty of today's uh, technological world that we live in, with the social media and and all that is very cool for the racers to have that as they grow old into their life and then uh, have have footage to be able to show their children and things like that. So it is very cool with the age in which we're living.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean. You know, back when we were racing, you know, there wasn't a lot of recording going on and stuff like that. So it's it's neat these, like you said, the next generation, you know, the younger than us can can watch their races at any time. You know, just by Googling, you know, it's it's amazing what you know technology. But uh, let's get to know Tommy Doom a little bit. I know, you know, most people know you as the official jeweler of American Flat Track, but uh, you used to race. Um, but let's go even deeper back in the archives. Like, where were you born?
1: I was born in Warren, Ohio.
0: Where in the Top heck is northeast that? Corner. Okay, all right. What's it like growing up in Warren? Is it cold?
1: Uh, it is, you know. It, uh, it's got all four seasons, and uh, right now we, we're, it's really cold, but uh, un- seasonally cold. But Warren, Ohio, is uh, right between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, so it's a, a nice little town. So we have, uh, you know, it's not like we're out in the middle of nowhere, but uh, we had some, lots of little, Areas that we could go ride mini bikes back in the day, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't know any better. So Warren was a great place to grow up.
0: Okay. Was there any racing right there close by, or did you have to travel?
1: No, there was um, there was a, a TT track that was about a half hour away, which was the first track I ever raced on. And then uh, we come to find out that there was two quarter miles short tracks within 30 miles of the house, so. Yeah, it was flat track was a hotbed around our area, um, and another hour drive you could be at a couple other race tracks. So, plenty of flat track racing when I was growing up.
0: All right. So, who got you into motorcycles?
1: Actually, it was uh, it was my mother. I uh, I came along late in life for both of my parents. They were in their 40s. My dad uh, had his jewelry store established, and my mother actually uh owned a wedding dress shop next door to my dad's jewelry store so both my parents were were entrepreneurs and business people my sister she's 16 years older than me so she moved out of the house when I was born basically and uh then uh, they said oh well we uh, my mom sold her dress shop and decided to be a stay at home mom and raise me and uh, all the kids in the neighborhood everybody had mini bikes and so I begged and uh first mini bike i got was at the age of six was a, a pull start briggs and stratton i couldn't even start the doggone thing but uh, <laughs> well i could sure get on and ride it
0: ride. yeah so so did your mom have to start the bike for you
1: well mom my mom did everything even when i started racing because my dad was busy with uh, starting a jewelry store so he started that in 58 and i was born in 60 so he was busy in business and uh My mom, uh, you know, God bless her. She had a shop rag hanging out of the back of her pants all the time, and grease under her fingernails. So she was definitely my mechanic, my roadie. She was everything.
0: Man, you're lucky. That is very cool.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: Yeah. So, what was it about motorcycles that appealed to you?
1: Oh man, it's just uh, everybody in our neighborhood. It was the there was a huge gang of us, and we all had. Mini bikes, and from there we went to SL70s and XR75s, and uh, we just we kept riding in the woods. Um, and then, like I said, my mother actually pointed out to the gang that there was she seen a, an advertisement in our local newspaper that these uh, scramble Races, as they were called, uh, we're up in Orwell, Ohio, which uh, was about 30 miles away from us. So she loaded all of us, the whole gang, in the car, and we went up in one uh, weekend and watched the races. And boy, with the whole gang, we said, "Man, we got to do this. This is what we've been practicing in the woods for. This, this is our. This is what we got to do." And so we all went home, begged our parents, and uh, the next race we were there with our mini bikes with uh, paper plates. On the front and uh, on the sides, I was uh, my first number was number seventy-seven because it was easy to make out of black electrical tape. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we all went racing, man, and that's how it all started. This is my mom. Did you,
0: did you win the first race, or do you remember?
1: You know, I don't remember. I don't remember, but uh, it was it was a great great little racetrack. It had a little bit had a few more right-handers in it, and so it was a little bit longer than what we uh, would look at today as our normal TT tracks. But uh, that was the first year we stayed strictly on that. And then we found out about these short tracks that were all around us. And uh, we all, all the whole gang again, there was about seven of us that were riding. And um, actually coming up through the ranks, there was myself, Gordon, Steve Carr, Greg Gordon, Jimmy Acazelli, myself. So There was five white plates, um from right from our little town.
0: So, who did you look up to the most out of those? You know, was it somebody close by, or was it somebody that would just show up and and win a lot? Did you look up to anybody?
1: Back in the day, it was, um, you know, Mert Lawwell and Mark Belsford and Jim Rice and these legends that were bigger than anything in my eyes. Uh, you know, watching and re- waiting for my cycle news to come every week, um, as as well as like Steve Moorhead um, was one that I always liked from from the Ohio Boys, for sure.
0: Right on. So, how big uh, was the movie on any Sunday when it came out? Did it just kind of push everybody over the edge to get involved in flat track?
1: Oh, for sure. It just uh, for us, it was like uh, throwing gasoline on a, on a fire already burning. We were uh, we were so so into it, and that was just the the thing that ignited it. And I, I remember going to the charity newsies in Columbus and uh, snuck into the pits, and I was stealing shop rags from all my heroes. And uh, when when Facebook uh, came around and uh, Jim Rice was on there, I, I said, Jim, I said, man, I, I, after all these years, I said, I got to apologize. I stole some of your shop rags back. It was probably 1972 or 73, and he, we had a nice conversation. But uh, I looked up to all those guys for sure. Right on
0: did you race anything else besides flat track? You said you did some TT racing, but did you try any motocross or road racing?
1: We did, I did motocross and hair scrambles just in the off season. Um, really never liked the whole jumping aspect of it. Um, so yeah, we just was we started on TT and short track, and it was, I was always satisfied, just love the speed uh, the drifting, uh, putting her in sideways was, uh, to me far better than going around some ruts and jumps.
0: Can, can you explain that feeling of put it in sideways? You'll put it in the corner. You know, I, I really can't put it into words, Tommy. What is, what does it feel like to you?
1: Oh man, it is very difficult to explain to someone that, uh, especially on the outside, like my staff at the store, you know, cause uh, there's my offices, uh, bunch of pictures and my some, some trophies and things like that. So everybody knows that what I did. And then trying to explain to them what it feels like to, especially on a mile like at Indy, um, coming down the straightaway and then pitching in at about 120-mile-an-hour up, right up by the hay bales because it's where it's nice and loose. And it just uh, kind of holds you right in there. And it's just it's just uh, the best feeling in the world, no doubt.
0: I, I, I agree with you, and I got goosebumps right now because I can just – I can feel it and i can you know i can remember that feeling and there's nothing like it in the world so you had a very impressive amateur career you won tons of races is there anything as an amateur that sticks out to you
1: um for sure in in uh, my one hundred and one twenty five days is when we first met woody kyle and we were uh, noguchi uh, factory riders and so i got to some noguchi's we used to go down to atlanta The Atlanta areas where the shop was and I remember um, there were these Japanese guys there with Woody and you know I'm just this little 12 year old with these big eyes and got these cool bikes and come back to our local tracks and uh yeah, we just really cleaned house um, on a one hundred, one twenty-five in the amateurs, and then when we went to, at that point we were at three, we jumped to three sixties, and then back to two fifties. But uh, that was the next step up, and had uh, just had a, a great amateur run, which set me up for getting a lot of product sponsors and people behind me uh, early in my career.
0: So you go pro in nineteen seventy-six. How hard of it? of a transition for you was it to go from amateur to pro
1: man it was something i i couldn't wait to do um and we went down to daytona that was one of the first times that i met uh, wayne rainey and johnny Winsowitz. i met charlie roberts and ronnie jones at the winter uh, olympics back when we were riding the gucci's in uh 72 73 74 but it was like Hearing hearing about these guys that were winning races on the West Coast and then finally being able to, to hook up and, and race with them was, was really exciting. So we looked forward to making that jump. And at that same time, though, what's going on in my life, that my mother was my number one mechanic, she was my roadie, she was everything in my racing career, she got diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which was uh, kind of a uh, blood disorder like leukemia. And um so I was having to do blood transfusions with her. I was the same blood type. so we made a decision after Daytona and we came out of Daytona with, um, we stopped at 39 points, um, which we didn't even get into the weather was still, uh, cold in Ohio. And so it took 40 to get your junior license. So we made the decision not to do any more pro racing. And I stayed close to home and rode Western Reserve and Deerfield, which uh, new Philadelphia, which are the short tracks that were within an hour's drive of my house. And we just continued to do the amateur thing. Uh, so I can be close to home and be with my mom during that and then made a decision. that in 77, we'll make a run for, uh, Uh, You know, a national title as a a novice, trying to accrue as many points as we possibly could, thinking that my mom was going to beat this damn thing. But uh, unfortunately, that, that never happened. So
0: how hard is it to keep racing after you lose your mom? I mean, like you said, she was your backbone. She was right there for you. How hard was it to keep going?
1: Well, Scotty. So in '77, um, when we made the decision, you know, to go down to Daytona and, and we're we're going to make a run for this thing, um, at that time, Dave Hubinsky and uh, was my mechanic, and he was taking over, obviously, from my mom and doing those things. And um, I just we we thought she was going to get better, but she uh, she wanted me to race and not be there. And so she was one of those things. She says, "You go, you know, you go race. You don't worry about me." And so she was the driving factor for me in that, that, that 1977 season. And she passed away the third weekend in July. And so most of July I uh, I took off because she was really sick. So I, that taking a month off in the, in the middle of the season um, prevented me from doing or becoming uh, the national champion as a novice. I won Ohio. Um, and won the region, but um, just didn't uh, by taking that that month off, hurt in that. But uh, you know, afterwards, to answer that question, Scotty, it was uh, it it motivated me to the point where it uh, you know, I never had any fear. Um, and we all know all of us that have raced and, you know, put that helmet on and uh, are up there on that starting line, what the potential is every time that we take to the racetrack. But for me, it was something like, well, mm-hmm. I, I got nothing to lose because if I die on this racetrack, well, then I'm going to be with my mother. And, and so oh. for me, it just, uh, it, it just made me go WFO all sounds the like more. I
0: was like, it fueled the fire because you won 15 races, you know, pro races in 77, 12, 12 pro races in 78, in and by doing that, you were also inducted to the Ohio Motorsports Hall of Fame in both those years, 77 and 78, for scoring the most points. How does, – does that – that did that ever sink in? I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome.
1: It was um, – especially when we got to to 78 and started uh, riding twins. And, uh, boy, it was – I just loved them. I, I just loved the torque. I loved the horsepower compared to the two-strokes and um... it's like, like right now charlie's trying to get me on one of those tacos and uh... just never liked the two strokes even though i grew up on them you know it was once i got on that xr 750 it was like oh man i i just uh, fell in love and uh, never wanted to go back to a two stroke and again growing up on ohio pea gravel and cushions um that was my thing it was uh, you would have been saying high wide and handsome a lot because that's where i was at always by the hay bales off the groove
0: off (laughs) the groove looking for the (laughs) fast way around i love it so uh then in 1979 you were part you know part of the uh the most anticipated rookie expert class and you became part of the class 39 which wasn't a thing back then but Tell us about how hard the competition was in 1979.
1: It was, uh, you know, it was just, it was stacked, not only for going for the rookie cup, but also just at that point, moving into trying to make a national, Uh, there was 60 to 70 experts at a national. And so we had to qualify to the top 40. And, you know, back in my day, qualifying was you were out there by yourself. Um, You got one lap after the the green flag. If you didn't like it, you waved her off coming down the straightaway, and then you had one other opportunity. And if that particular opportunity, you know, you uh, just had a major mistake or had a mechanical, you were done. You you didn't make the program. You weren't even going to practice. So it was just intense uh, to make programs and, you know, very fortunate we made a bunch of programs our, our rookie year so um and i and i attribute a lot of that to to my buddy steve moorhead who kind of took me under his wing uh coming up my rookie expert year he would stick me on the back uh, of his uh pit bike which the guys aren't allowed to do today but back then in our day we were allowed to go out on the racetrack prior to practice and steve would uh, take me on the back and he would say now come in here, um, don't shut off here. I remember one time at DeCoin, my rookie year, uh, that, that race that we talked about that's on the Young Matadors, he says, now I want you to come in right here and, and head up to this fence. And at that point, he says, the, the way that the track is going to, it's just going to automatically turn. You're not even going to have to make a hard apex here. He said, I don't want you to shut off. I said, you mean you don't want, I, I'm not going to lift at all? He said, no, don't shut off. so those were his words. And so I remember I had a great qualifying um, in my heat race. I led my heat race for nine laps and uh, three all the way to the uh, start-finish line where Randy Goss just drafted me, and the reason that he even caught me was because I was getting arm pumped from holding the throttle wide open because I had never done that before.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So you end up finishing ninth. There at the coin was that was that the highlight of your professional career? You think
1: that was the highlight because I had such a great qualifying time. Everything was clicking. I almost won my heat race. I was on the front row. We had fast had the fast heat, and so uh, I knew that you know it was like one of these things. Man, I, I I just could this be the day? And so I pulled the whole shot. I was on the inside of the front row. Pulled the whole shot and lead everybody coming off of turn two. And, um that was the race that uh Parker he came from behind to win, and I went from first to ninth, so I worked my way backwards, and Scotty worked his way forward to win his first national and become the the youngest uh, person to ever win a grand national champion and uh you know to share a memory i it was just all pumped, even though I worked my way back I that a lap was in second for a lap, who was in third for a lap. You know, so it, working my way back to night he came off the racetrack. I was still stoked, and I, I came to my pits, and uh, my wife now, she always traveled with me. Um, and uh, I look around, and where everybody's at? And they're all <laughs> up at the podium for Scotty because, uh, you know, we were all buddies back in the day, and everybody liked Scotty, and it's uh, <laughs> dog gone. <laughs> so it was, but it was a good race none, nonetheless.
0: Right on. So just recently, the Electric Horseman did a great write-up on you and talked about uh, the crash that eventually led to your retirement. Uh, for those ha- who haven't checked it out, go back and check it out. But uh, can you tell us about your big wreck?
1: Yeah, it was um, It was in Indy. It was on the mile. And um, it was, and I can't even remember now if it was a heat race or if it was a semi, um, but we were coming out of four, and Ronnie Jones was right in front of me, and in front of him was Chuck Springsteen, Jay's younger brother. And from what I have gathered, you know, from from that crash, is that uh, Chuck went outside a little bit and clipped um, the outside fence there, and got into trouble and and crashed all by himself, and and I was setting up to draft Ronnie so I was right on Ronnie's back tire and Ronnie kind of just moved slightly to the left um, and then there's Chuck Springsteen laying right in the racetrack right in front of me and there was no way at this point I was coming out of four on the straightaway and so we're probably doing somewhere around 90 mile an hour I, I got you, you can't just steer and uh, so I, I ran him over and when I ran him over it catapulted me off the bike. And I remember just thinking to myself, I was conscious trying to, to get either to lay on my stomach or on my back so I could slide. But I ended up just doing uh, somersaults all the way down the, the front straight away and um, ended up breaking my, my pelvis and my hip and re-injuring my ACL. Uh, and it was all on the right side.
0: So did that you ended your career right there. Or was did you try to come back at all after that?
1: It didn't. You know, I mean, I, I did not try to come back. It was one of those things that uh, I had a lot of pressure um, from my family. That uh, you know, why are you got to continue to do this. Prior to that particular crash, um, I had uh, a high side at Hagerstown um, the year before that. Um, went in three, got into the back of Ricky Campbell and high-sided and ended up tearing my ACL. and so had a just it was either I did well or I crashed and through that you know there was some I, I tore my esophagus I had some had some pretty serious injuries in that short span of being an expert just going for it and probably you know the hardest thing, for me, was that the pea gravel track suited my wide open style um, and trying to find that cushion to to slow down versus running it in, you know, controlling the throttle, getting on the brake, and 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 doing a lot of the grooves. Where once we got to the circuit, you know, it was not many pea gravel tracks, so it was that learning experience for me that. Uh, I still had that wide open mentality and just didn't give myself enough time and patience to, to settle in. And that's one of the regrets that I have that, uh, you know, I, I did walk away too soon, but, um, you know, they say things happen for a reason and, uh, you know, now I, I don't know that I'd change anything.
0: Absolutely. So you've experienced, you know, firsthand the highs and the lows of racing at the highest levels. How do you explain the desire to do something so dangerous to someone who may not understand it or has never thrown a leg over a bike?
1: You know, for me, it was something that, that was so natural because, again, I started it when I was six years old. And, you know, so when you when you don't think that there's a risk, right, I guess if you're, you know, uh, in any sports, uh, stick and ball, there is the potential of, of injury. And I guess if you focus on that side of it, well, then, you know what, that sport is not for you because, you you know, it is your your mind is going to limit you, and um, for me, I, I had no fear in that regard of getting maimed or, or even um, giving my life up for something that I, I so loved and enjoyed doing. So it, for me, it was never a thought. And uh, so to explain that to someone else, I would have to say, man, you just have to learn how to, to experience it. and And then once you do, I don't think those other – the risk factors – don't come into play and if they do then that I think maybe that's the time to, to, to get out of the sport
0: right absolutely so it's it's hard to do that and it seems like you made that decision so how do you feel that void after you stop racing I mean I know that's about the time when then you got married is that when you started having a family is when you hung it up
1: right at the time uh right when uh I was turning pro my dad and Jimmy Accazelli who was also a white plate and um from our area and still involved, Uh, he's going to get him, he's involved a little bit more in motocross, but uh, we're going to get him back into dirt track, that was his first love. But his dad and my dad bought Yamaha of Warren, we didn't have a Yamaha franchise in town. So, at that particular point, um, my dad, being the entrepreneur he was, figured, well, we can write this racing thing off, and so Jimmy and I, we used to travel together, and we were riding Yamahas as novices, and... Then uh, that one year when they changed the the 750 rule at Peoria to 500s, then we rode TT 500 Yamahas. and So then after racing, my dad said to me, he says, so what do you want to do? He says, you want to go and work and be partners with Jimmy? And Jimmy ended up having some some injuries and uh, retired the exact same year as I did. And Steve Carr, who was also the white plate in our town, uh... he had announced that he was retiring that year and so here we are all three of us are uh, retired the exact same year and um, i said to my dad i said you know i was so just heartbroken because my dream was to be a grand national champion and to do that uh, for all of my days and didn't want to do anything else but race and uh, make a lot of money at it and then uh, at some point retire Um, and do whatever I wanted to do at that particular point. But that never happened, and and because that dream didn't come to pass, I said to Dad, I said, you know what, I'm going to go to gemology school. I'm going to work with you. And uh, so we ended up selling our half of the Omaha shop out, and uh, I walked away from it and got married in 1982. So the year right after I retired, I got married, and our children, the twin boys, were born in '86 and i adopted uh, our daughter gabriel in 93 from romania and um, my boys as soon as they were old enough i think they were probably around 3 they were a little earlier than i was i got them pw50 so i got both of my twins in the racing and um, at that particular point early 90s all the short tracks that were within that hour drive or 2 hour drive all went away um, and so i got the my boys in the motocross and to this day they're now they're mad at me for <laughs> for not ever getting them to go dirt tracking um <laughs> but because cody now he likes to go to springfield and do the amateur uh short track and tt so but um yeah so we got them in the motocross and i just i just had to walk away from it that's how i had to deal with it because it hurts so gotcha. bad
0: so When did you just take over the jewelry shop? I mean, does your father still a part of it or is it all you or your son's working there too? Or how does that work out?
1: So my dad officially retired for the first time in 1985. And, um, he just passed away two years ago and he was working, uh, he passed away at 96 and he was working, uh, that Christmas at 95. So he, uh, he was always at the store, always there. And, um, So he he allowed myself, my wife, Jackie, and my sister and her husband to buy my dad out. And then that was Cliven's jewelry. And so uh, back in the day on my leathers, I was always sporting that uh, because dad was a big part of my program, uh, financing it. And um, later on, there was no buy-sell agreement between me and my sister and her husband. And they ended up getting a divorce. The corporation got stuck in their divorce, and so then in 2002, uh, that corporation ceased Cliven's Jewelry, and then uh, I reopened up as a sole owner with just me and my wife Jackie under uh, Tom Duma Jewelers, and I named it after my dad. And uh, I happen to have the same name as him, so uh, it works out pretty good. But it was uh, it was named after after my dad.
0: I love it. Great story, Tommy. Uh, How did you partnership, and how did you get to be part of the AMA and now AFT as the official jeweler? How did all that start?
1: So Larry Lawrence was the Cycle News East editor uh, back in the day, and in 2009, he ran a story in Cycle News. 30 years later, where are the class of '79? And so he interviewed all of us, and uh, you know it was myself, Charlie Roberts, Ronnie Jones, Scotty Parker, Wayne Rainey, and John Winsowitz. And um, so we were all appeared at that. And at that time, Wayne was uh, going to be in Indy because of the Moto uh, GP race. And so everybody was gathered there. I think everybody was there except Johnny. Um, he did, he didn't make it in from. Uh, the west uh, out there west coast where he lives in oregon um or washington johnny's gonna kill me because i don't know where he lives now i think it's washington <laughs> anyway uh so we were all there and uh, we had that golf outing as as you know the story and we all decided to do something and uh, so it was cool getting back together with everybody but i will say though that even through the 90s um i was on the phone talking with, uh, Wayne Rainey during his racing, road racing career. And so we, we stayed friends, um, even though that we all kind of went our own way, um, in life. But so it was, it was cool that we had this strong bond and then it was just kind of a natural thing when we all came back together 30 years later that, uh, uh we would do something, uh, to help injured racers.
0: Right on. So then how did the sponsorship of the series come about with the jewelry? You know, Tommy Duma, the official jeweler of the American Flat Track. How did that start?
1: So that was back when, right when uh, Daytona Motor Group take, took over. I was still the AMA uh, pro, I believe it was at that particular point. And um, I actually approached them if there was some way that I could be involved. Um, and they didn't have... You know the championship point fund at the end, like they had in years past, and so there was. They were just basically in a rebuilding mode when uh, DMG took it over, and uh, I approached them and said, "Hey, can I be a part of this? I'm uh, gonna pay for the rings, I'll do everything, and uh, just name me the official jeweler." And that's that's how it started. And then as uh, Things progressed, uh, so did the level of sponsorship and commitment that TDFJ uh, has now with AFT, uh, with Fans Choice. And uh, so it, it, it's, it was all because of Larry Lawrence, is how I started that story. Is because we got back with the gang. We were at Indy, um, and it was being around, back in the pits again, and seeing everybody that I haven't seen in a long time. And boy, it was just like, Doggone and I suppressed this for so many years um, let's let's why why do I have to suppress it why don't we just get back involved and do what we can and then to you know have the charity thing and then to be personally involved with the championship at the end it was like a win-win and I'm so I, I yeah I'm back head over heels I, I even had witty Kyle refresh my uh, kawasaki so it's it's ready for me as soon as i get this neck brace off and this cast off so i can (laughs) get back out there and beat charlie roberts
0: there you go that's your goal in life now is to beat charlie
1: (laughs) (laughs) i wouldn't i wouldn't call it a goal in life but uh, okay all right it's something to strive for for sure
0: there you go so uh you make a lot of custom jewelry what's your most interesting piece of flat track jewelry that you've ever made
1: I have to say it's the championship rings, you know, um, for sure. To be able to, to sit down and sketch those uh, from having a just a concept to a pencil sketch to then computer animated design to making the mold with the CNC machine and then to see it uh, hand polished and finished is the is probably the, the, the greatest. And I would have to say a close second is the ring that I made for your grandma. Ah,
0: that was yes. awesome. Yeah, and, and the biggest the thing for me was keeping that a secret because, you know, we had to talk to Pa and Pa's usually with Graham unless he's out riding his motorcycle. If he's riding his motorcycle, he doesn't have his phone on him. So just getting that whole process done was kind of sneaky. And, and uh, I love it. And and man, you do some awesome work. So back to the championship rings, though, didn't you and your, you know, your twin boys help design that? And then they also help you with your commercials, too. Right.
1: They do. They're um, they're part of our business in the sense that they help uh, help me with the marketing. They're both uh, computer animated designers, uh, graphic designers, and so that's what they do for a living for their company. Uh, they were both work for the same tech company, um, and so they help uh, the great artists better than I am, and so. Uh, every year we get together because they're in california and uh, my daughter's in idaho and so Christmas time we all get back together again and that has been the tradition for the last uh four years is that we all sit down and we design the the championship ring for the next season so we all just start sketching and uh sketching the top or sketching the sides and thinking well how cool would this be or what would this look like and so it's a a very cool thing to have the family involved in in that for sure
0: so you're gonna be designing the 2019 ring soon hopefully and and now you gotta design three of them
1: right on yeah i hope so i hope we could put together a deal with aft if uh, michael lock's listening i hope he'll say all right let's get that guy back on board and uh yeah we're gonna we're pretty cool to have a, a third ring in the mix for sure
0: Right on. So at the jewelry store, what is your number one selling item?
1: We are a bridal store, so I would have to say bridal. Engagement rings and diamonds are is our number one category. Fashion would be second, and then watches uh, are third.
0: Okay, I like it. So we've talked about Class 79, and a lot of people know this story about that, But and we talked to Charlie just a few months back, but what was it like? for you to be a part of that historic class, both then when you were racing and now helping the other riders, what does that meant to you?
1: It, uh, you know, it's, has meant everything, uh, for sure to be able to, to be associated with Wayne Rainey, who's our you know, three time motor world GP champion, Ronnie Jones, uh, who is still going strong. Made what did he make two nationals this year, three nationals. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Something um, like that.
1: Yeah. Which is awesome. And, and, Scotty Parker, nine time, uh, 94 wins. It's an incredible. Uh, and Charlie and myself and Johnny, uh, just to be part of that group for sure. Um, to have the, I I enjoyed the having that pressure of uh, knowing that there's a lot of competition. You got to have your A game. You got to be focused every single day, every time you're on that racetrack. You got to be prepared all through the week. Um, so it was helped me. To uh, prop- propel everything in the racing career, and th- and that transferred over to to me in my life. I'm just a, a very competitive man by nature, so when it comes to running my business, uh, raising my children, just everything is uh, is has been built around those life lessons uh, of racing day in and day out with the uh, the class of '79, and then to be able to come back and to have uh, a charity that uh, really were just a conduit that uh, it, it it speaks to the amount of love that the fans have for this sport of ours because without the fans uh, we we couldn't couldn't do anything so uh, it was just more getting the organization side put together to, to be able to funnel these resources, the, the monies that come in, um, so that it can go back to the injured racers. And then to see it grow and to see people that step up on um, – the organizational side of it to say, hey, you know, we're going to, we'll, we'll buy a transport. to, You know, we'll buy this so you can be at every race, Charlie. We'll, we'll, we'll fund this portion of it so it doesn't take away from the monies that are raised, which is really cool the way that everybody uh, from uh, the person that's buying a, a $10 hat or a $25 t-shirt to the person that's donating a transport or donating thousands of dollars to offset uh, any of the operational expenses that the charity has so it's a, it's really really a cool thing to see how everybody in our industry has come together
0: yeah what you guys do is pretty incredible let's talk about the flat track racing today so you and i've been in this our whole lives tommy and we've seen the series go through several changes on many levels what do you think about the recent resurgence of flat track
1: i think that uh, it it's nothing short of phenomenal in the sense of the exposure that we're getting. NBC and SN has really brought us on another level of viewership, which I think that uh, will only help grow the sport for sure. And um, seeing the social media aspect of it and just, again, the technology side of, of the world that we live in, I think is all playing a part that it's like, man it's the perfect storm that it's coming together that this sport that is one of the the oldest forms of of motorsports racing from back to the the beach to board tracks to you know it just was this little obscure sport though that really never went mainstream in a in a country that you know really focuses on a lot of uh stick and, and ball sports so it's really cool to see the exposure they're getting they were getting and uh i think the personnel that uh, you know is behind it uh, the rules riders that we have now i think it's all adding to uh the success that we're seeing and i, I can't only help but to think that it's going to continue to grow
0: so in in your opinion what in what ways has the racing you know, still the same and as it was back in the day? And in what ways has it changed?
1: Um, you know, what's crazy is that I just found from my mechanic, uh, he had our tech log and he had a couple of years missing, but there was uh, 1979 and 80 and 81. And then he went on after I retired to work with Ronnie and um, then he ended up working with Ricky Graham with Honda. So there was a lot of those notes in there. And so when I was going back and looking at all the time trials, um, there are not much difference today than there was back in our day when we if you you put somebody on 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 a Lima or Indy or Sacramento, uh... San Jose don't run anymore. But you know, some of these tracks that we still run today that we ran back in that day, I look at the Times. And they're doggone close. If not, there are still some that were, back in our day, are still holding track records. So that remains the same. Um, The things that are different, obviously the technology of the motorcycles, um, the riders, the level of uh, professionalism. You know, we were all working out of vans. Now it's neat to see transports um, in the pits. And just the way that everything is growing is really cool to see that, that being different.
0: So, in your opinion, you just said, you know, some of those track records still hold up and some of the times are, are about the same, you know, but with technology, with better tires, can you explain why do you think the times are still the same?
1: Well, you know, they're running different tires. We didn't have tire restrictions. Uh, we were able to, to groove our tires on certain tracks. Um Yes, back in the day, there were some restrictors that we were having to play with in the early 80s. But for the most part, I, you know, that's a good question. Um, I, wow. I, I don't know. Uh, other than the fact that maybe uh, maybe the talent twisting the throttle. Could I dare say that? Uh, Judd's going to get mad at me. I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it, it's a very good question. You know, I've had people ask me that, you know, several times, and I don't know an answer either. I mean, like you said, you know, restrictors, less restrictors, tires. You know, you guys could do whatever you want with your tires. There's a lots of reasons, but man, I loved your answer. Uh, lots of cha- <laughs> lots of changes within the AFT. You know, just recently, a lot of announcements have been made. Uh, which do you think would be the biggest impact on the sport? Is it the personnel? Will it be the rules changes, you know, new, you know, rider switching teams or this you know, the schedule?
1: I think it's going to be the riders because we've all dealt with rule changes. We've all dealt with that that comes out. And, you know, I know I'm sure Indian's probably not happy, but I know Indian, Indian has a desire to win, and they're going to do whatever they can. And, you know, you've got three, three guys on that team that know how to twist the throttle got great heads on their shoulders and, and, and are going to be the people to beat regardless of rule changes. And so therefore, uh, with others going to different brands and having those rule changes, I think it's going to add to the sport. I really do think it's going to be the the single biggest thing that's going to happen is that you're going to see the different riders that are switching teams and, uh, you're, you're going to see some great racing in 2019 for sure.
0: I totally agree with that. So, uh, what is something you wish would make a comeback into our sport?
1: You know, Scotty, you know, would, would be the amateur level. I would, I would love to see, you know, more uh, people buying mini bikes for their kids and getting them started like I did mine at, uh, you know, three, four, five years of age, and just. Having that grassroots back at the amateur level, so that we get back to the day when there is 200 some novices. There were, you know, a hundred juniors and 75 experts is showing up at a race. It's over 300 racers, right? And that was just at one race, but there was it was just, and that was because of the grassroots. So if we could see that amateur level um, begin to grow, then you're going to see the competition and the 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 level of racers coming again like we've seen back in the 70s and 80s so that that would be my hope that we would have more amateurs getting into the sport and the amateur level um network growing and having a bigger schedule
0: is is that a reason you sponsor some riders tommy i know a lot of people and i hear more so uh, you know from the amateurs but a few pros you sponsor as well is that why you sponsor these riders
1: You know, I wish that uh, TDFJ could have a huge, huge budget. Uh, You know, I admire uh, people like uh, Tim Essenson and Jerry Stensfield and uh, Jerry Kennedy and and the people that are out there, the business people that uh, do help. And, boy, I wish I could do that at that level as well. But TDFJ doesn't have that big of a motorsports budget. But, yes, we do help. Um, I gave Gunnar Smiggle my... 250 uh, to race for a couple years, and I've got my 450 that sits, and if anybody uh, needs a 450, I I let them ride that. uh, uh, Bobby DeSena put it on the podium uh, at Lima. My My 450, I think it was been about three years now, maybe four years ago. Um, which was really cool to see. So I I help whenever I can to give some guys some gas money to get from here to there. But for the most part, the biggest portion of TDFJ's budget goes to AFT and to the designing of the rings.
0: Okay. I love it. Um, What's, you know, you're sitting there with your neck brace on and and it sounds like your spirits are there, but what's the first thing you're going to do when you get 100% recovered, that neck brace is off and the doctor gives you the go ahead. What's the first thing you're going to do?
1: Well, first thing to do, I'm going to lay in my bed on a pillow, uh, and I might even, (laughs) I've been laying on my back looking at the ceiling or my recliner looking straight ahead, so uh, I'm going to sleep on either my left side, my right side, lay on my belly for a little bit, that's going to be the first thing, and then uh, I I can't wait to be able to, boy, walk again, it's just, uh, you know, we don't don't appreciate walking until we can't, (laughs) we don't appreciate being healthy until we're sick, so yeah I, I can't wait to do just some of the simpler things is walking and being able to carry uh, uh, a bottle of water at the same time that I walk because it, with the crutches, doggone, it's tough to do that. I, I got a strap a little uh, beverage basket to, uh, on these uh, crutches, kind of custom makes it, it, crutches. Maybe it's the little
0: night. thing. It's the little things, isn't it, Tommy?
1: It is the little things, yes. <laughs> well,
0: uh, so last week's guest was Matthew Gunther, and he said he's our number one listener. He self-proclaimed that.
1: I, know, I was, me- was going to text Matt. I was going to text him and say, come on, boy, you're, you're trying to jump in front of me, pull the shot. I, I'm right there with him.
0: Well, you know who else is mad is Graham, because Graham has to listen to every episode, too. And and now it's time for Graham's question. And she right. says, to do a custom piece of jewelry, what do you usually need to know about that individual?
1: Wow. Okay, good question, Graham. So if we're talking a, a, a like say like an engagement ring for uh, a guy that comes in, or say a racer in the pits grabs me and he doesn't want, uh, he's going to do this all on surprise. So then at that point you have to start asking questions. Um, you know, what does she wear? What is she going to? You know, is she hanging out in hoodies and t-shirts, or does she like to get dressed up? Does she work? Does You know, how hard does she play? So you start to get the personality of that person. So then you kind of try to match a ring to that type of personality. Um, And when it comes to custom, um, you know, again, if it's a motorcycle, um, what type can we make it a ring? Do you want to make a pendant? So it's just a matter of asking the right questions to get some answers so that they can begin to get and channel that creativity down the right path.
0: I you. Gotcha. And just for the listeners that don't know, that might not know, you know, if there's a flat track, you know, fan out there that needs a piece of jewelry, they can call and talk to you directly at the jewelry store, right? When you get back to work.
1: Absolutely. I'm actually going back to work next week. Um, I got my a little knee scooter. Um, as soon as this neck brace comes off on Wednesday, so then I'll, I'll be ready to go back. And and yeah, that that that's the goal. Is you know, jewelry is a, a personal thing. I, I realize that, and you know, sometimes it's easier to just go down to the local mall or around the corner to to pick up a pair of diamond earrings or an engagement ring or a watch or a pendant or whatever it is. But you know, if you're listening and you're a fan and you don't have a relationship with a jeweler, then man. Absolutely, my job is to take care of the marketing as well as racers and fans alike. So um, I'm not on the sales floor day to day. I have a team, a great team that does that. So I, I personally take care of every person that just calls or if you come in on the website a contact at TDFJ, that comes right to my inbox. So I'm the first person to see that. And if it's uh, somebody in the racing community, Absolutely. uh, Definitely want to to help them with any kind of gift-giving, whether it be for Christmas or a milestone birthday or anniversary graduation or after you're winning a championship.
0: Right on. So Christmas is coming up. Do you have any holiday specials, or is there anything that that people need to buy right now?
1: Right now, uh, half, well... There's always a need, right? Every woman has a need for jewelry. Um, Right now for Black Friday and Small Business Saturday, we've got our diamond earrings that are on sale. You can go to our Facebook page uh, and Tom Dumas Jewelers, and you'll see the prices and whatnot, so, and, and you know, diamond earrings, Scotty, are like a, it's like a lady's black dress. There's one in every woman's closet, so, and if, if she has a black dress, the next time she goes shopping, she looks, and she's another nice, pretty black dress, so she's always always replacing a black dress. Same thing with the diamond earrings. If she's got quarter carrots you want to get half carrots. If you've got half carrots you want to get carats. You just got to keep going bigger and bigger and bigger, so diamond earrings are, you can never go wrong with diamond earrings.
0: Man, just keep getting bigger, bigger jewelry. Keep,
1: That's keep right. it going. Like going from singles to twins. You just got to keep moving <laughs> yeah. up. Just going to make that step.
0: All right. <laughs> so now it's time in our episode right now for some rapid fire questions. So I want you to tell me the first thing that you think of when I ask you the question. Are you ready? I'm ready. Where's my Rolex?
1: <laughs> right on my wrist. <laughs> You're wearing my watch? Man. I am. We share I that guess, watch. That's our I, guess watch. We,
0: I guess we share custody, right? Yeah. So. Uh, maybe I'll get to wear it here pretty soon. So uh, what's your your favorite motorcycle you've ever ridden?
1: XR 750, Harley-Davidson.
0: I was hoping you were going to say that. What's your favorite racetrack and why?
1: I would have to say DeCoin because it's where I did the best. Um, It was just one of those tracks. It was wide open. As much as... I love pea gravel, love Lima, and, and love all my cushion racetracks. Once I got on the miles, it was like, oh, man, I don't want to ride. I don't ride anything but miles anymore. I love them. And so I would have they're, to say the coin.
0: They're so much fun. So the Class 79 and friends do a golf outing every year to raise money for the charity. So that brings up my next question. The Class 79 lines up for this charity. Who's the best golfer?
1: Scotty Parker, man, doggone. We can't ever beat him. We couldn't beat him. We can't beat him on the track. We can't beat him on the golf course. The guy is good. Yeah. Hey. Okay, all right.
0: And he's a fast talker too, so he can back it up, right?
1: No doubt, yes. He, he's good. I, I have to use a lot of foot wedges and erasers to keep up with him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering why they gave you pencils with erasers, but now I know. So, who's an up-and-coming rider we should keep an eye out for?
1: Uh, we got a we got a good group coming up for, for sure. Um, Brandon Kitchen, I I liked him what I seen in Springfield this year. Uh, Dallas Daniels, I like him. Boy, it's, there's there's gonna be it's gonna be a great year. And, and you know the the 450 class is not uh, it's not like the beginner class anymore. It's not like your stepping stone. It, it is a full fledged man, you better be ready to go fast, class. And um, so I'm excited to see what these young guys are going to do uh, come 2019.
0: What about that fast kid from Ohio named Trent Lowe?
1: I, for sure. I, forgive me for, for not mentioning the, my boy from the Buckeye State, for sure. They're, uh, all of those boys are going to be right there. They're going to give the old guard coming in. I, I think they're going to give them a run, just like we did the class of 79 when uh, we came up and gave the boys uh, a run for their money and made some nationals.
0: Absolutely. Tommy, thank you so much for your time. At the end of the episode, we usually ask our riders or whoever we have on if they want to say thanks to anybody. Here's your chance, man. Do you want to say thank you to anyone?
1: right, uh, will have to give a shout-out to, you know, my mechanic, my engine builder, my uh, driver, Dave Dubinsky, and Warren Harley-Davidson, KRWA Helmets. And, oh, shit, shit, that that's a flashback. I'm sorry. I um, <laughs> I was on the podium. Uh, <laughs> let me, I just have to give a shout-out to my wife, Jackie. She's been with me since uh, – I was a novice uh, the first time in '76, uh, so we've been together for a long time. Uh, my twin boys, Corey and Cody, my daughter Gabriella, and uh, a shout out to my team at TDFJ. Um, those I got the the best team uh, from my back office to my front office to the salespeople. Um, I, I just have got a great team there, so that that's definitely who I want to thank.
0: I mean, I want to Thank say thanks you. to you. I think
1: what you guys are doing for sure is, needs to be done because, you know, if you look at whether it's NMA uh, fighting, you know, everybody knows the fighters. Or if you're talking football or, or baseball, it, it's it's people fall in love with the athletes. And not we fall in love. We're in love with the sport. Um, but what you guys are doing is getting people to fall in love with the racers the athletes of our sport that make it and then that way they can begin to to like these guys and follow them and i think that it becomes more personable and i really i really thank you guys for taking the lead and making this this happen and i just continue to hope it blows up
0: yeah hey no problem i want to say thank you for for letting me wear that rolex every once in a while and and thanks for sponsoring you know the greatest sport in the world man these riders appreciate they get a piece of of jewelry that is a one-off it's a -a one-of-a-kind than nobody else will have, and I think that is really cool.
1: Yeah, I, I hope they, they cherish that, and uh, if not so much now when they get uh, to be the, the ripe old age like I am, that they'll look back at that and they'll, they'll have the former memories of uh, of what it took to, to win that ring, for sure.
0: Tommy Duma, former number 26, and number 62, and the best damn jeweler in the business. Thank you, Scotty. Always good to talk to Tommy Duma.
2: Yeah, always. So he's talking about that neck brace, and I'm just picturing him the whole time in his kitchen at the island with the big old neck brace the cell phone on his ear, and I felt so bad for him the whole time. But he seems like he's in but good spirits.
0: He's in really good spirits. So I think because he's on the downhill slope, he can see the future, you know, one week from today. A week
2: away, yeah.
0: Yeah, one week away, he gets that thing off. He gets to lay on his side in bed, and, and uh, you know, <laughs> we, uh, we take little things for granted. Like we said, you know, just getting up and walking – to the bathroom yeah. when you have crutches on and you're not supposed to put any weight on a foot that's an ordeal you yeah. have to plan ahead
2: absolutely and I, to me the best part of that the end i'm just being a little selfish here the best part of that interview is hearing what he said at the end right like what he said about what we're doing um you and i know like that's that's a big part of why why we're doing this to hear it from somebody like tommy who's been involved in the sport and part of the sport in so many levels you know for so long it means a ton to hear that, so thank you, Tommy, for the kind words, and uh, that's why we do what we're doing, and we'll continue to do it as long as we can.
0: Yeah, Tommy, take care of my Rolex, because I know it's your turn to wear it for a little while. How
2: long has that Rolex gag been going on between you two? A
0: couple years. We used to give a Rolex to the champion, and now he switches over to the rings he's designing, so uh, ever since the Rolex thing, it's weird, because that fits on my wrist so nice, Mm -hmm. man. It's incredible, and... I didn't know that was his. It fits on his wrist too. I thought that was a different one that he just lets me wear, but evidently it's the same one that he wears. So maybe when you retire,
2: he'll give it to you.
0: One day, when I retire, he'll give it to me. You You know what? Maybe, maybe the American Flat Track Series would give it to me. I've been there
2: ten years. American Flat Track, if you're listening. I like free stuff. (laughs) Who doesn't like free stuff? You said something earlier about maybe talking to a tuner. I like that idea.
0: Maybe we should line somebody up for next week. Maybe somebody else from Ohio.
2: We just talked to an, a guy from Ohio named Tom. You want to talk to another next week? Two in a row? Yeah, sure.
0: Can't Let's get enough of a shot. Those,
2: can't get enough of those Ohio flat trackers, right? You know what? If you grew up in Ohio and
0: you raced flat track, you had the the benefits of going fast, turning left, throttle wide open on a cushioned motorcycle racetrack. And I just never got to do that. You talking about Lana? Ima, there's Ashland, there's yeah. several tracks there. There's only one on the Grand National Circuit. There's Greenville. There's a lot of pea gravel tracks there. And uh, why is that? And in I never...
2: Ohio, just in Ohio.
0: Seems... I think I think because that's where they they have those Trotter horses are more prevalent there. Yeah. And maybe that's just what they use. I don't know. There's a lot of county fairgrounds there. Oh, Big Hump Daddy, he's
2: got yeah. tracks like that too. Absolutely. The Ohio Valley Classic. O H. I O. I'm not even a Buckeyes fan, but I know that.
0: I'm definitely not a Buckeyes fan. Yo, know, I did the arena cross last week, and you didn't even ask me how that went. Thanks uh, a lot,
2: Scotty. How did the arena cross go last week? There was 639 entries in the season.
0: Last Saturday at one race. Hold yeah. on. 600, exactly.
2: 600 plus at one event.
0: One arena cross. And they it was started one practice day? at one day. They started practice at 10 a.m., ran through practice, got into the heat races. If you didn't make it out of the heat race, you ran a last chance qualifier, didn't make it out of last chance qualifier, you're done. At 7.30 p.m., I started opening ceremonies. We did the pro heat races. We did amateur main events. We did some more pro heat races because there's two pro classes. And then we did some amateur main events. We came back with the pro last chance qualifier, some more amateur main events, the pro mains, freestyle motocross, and then some more amateur main events. There's about 28 classes and it was jam packed and the stands were almost full. It was incredible. Damn,
2: sounds like a hell of a day. Now, do any flat trackers come and race that?
0: I didn't see any. I know a couple of people I know that hit me up on social media said that some of their friends were racing, but I don't think any flat trackers try that stuff
2: so are you doing any other arena events then arena cross events
0: at this point not right now they do have a normal announcer but they had two events going on they had a, gotcha. a monster truck show in denver and they had arena cross in albany so and they had to split that
2: season is just in the winter is that how does that season mean?
0: most of the arena cross and monster truck stuff that i do is in the winter time you know okay. when there's nothing else to do it drives people inside same with the ice racing series
2: yep what else yep. Got enough i got enough i think there's more i always feel like there's more stuff we're not talking about but we can't possibly hit it all all right i think we're done for this week are you done for this week i'm done for this week what are we gonna do End the show that's what we do when we're done right no
0: we out people that's- talk to you guys next week next week